Julie Legg was 52 when she was diagnosed with ADHD. Life suddenly made sense and it explained why she'd struggled for decades feeling different to her peers. After a diverse career in the gig economy, including owning a business, acting, blogging and photography, Julie Legg can add author to that list. From personal experience talking to other adults with the disorder and research studies, she's written a book called The Missing Piece. It's a woman's guide to understanding, diagnosing and living with ADHD and covers off the different way it presents. Uh, Julie is very clear that she is not a, a, a professional by any means, but she has lived experience. She says she acknowledges she lives with a disorder, but views it as simply a difference. She's in the Hamilton studio. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Uh, tell us a little about the, the, the start of this uh, journey for you. Um, perhaps we should begin with diagnosis itself, and then we'll go back to to childhood, free, wonderful free-range childhood you had. But what was Absolutely. the route to, to seeking and getting diagnosis, Julie? Well, like, um, like many people, I really didn't know much about ADHD at all, um, other than it sort of happened in college college years um, boys were being diagnosed so I really didn't know much about that at all but for me I had a family member diagnosed with ASD high functioning autism spectrum disorder and I really wanted to understand what that was all about and almost accidentally I discovered ADHD and looking at those traits and how they manifest was just absolute flashing lights for me I res- you know, I resonated with all of them, and it was incredible. So um, I thought that I really should get a diagnosis of my own um, for my children's sake, for friends and family to understand me, uh, but most of all for me to understand me. Did you know much about ADHD previously? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, not at all, except for um, I was watching Love on the Spectrum, a Netflix show, and um, they did talk about ASD and um, other other disorders being matched, and ADHD also was part of that, and I could understand, um, you know, so we're getting little glimmers and flickers of what life with ADHD could be like, and um, it really described my life. How my norms were ADHD norms. How difficult was it to get diagnosis? It was very interesting. Um, I made a call right at the very beginning that um, I didn't want to be medicated regardless of the outcome. Um, I can talk about that later or now if you wish. But um, so, so clearly there are two options as adults. You can go to a um, clinical psychologist who can diagnose or a psychiatrist who can then prescribe medication. And so I narrowed it down to a clinical psychologist um, I did go through the um, the health system and there was a smaller waiting list with that regard. And I think then it was really due to the medication. Yeah, then for a psychiatrist. Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah. Why don't you expand now, seeing we're there, on your decision right from the start that you, that you wouldn't want medication? Um, Catherine, I'm a bit of a stubborn mule. Um, <laughs> I have barraged my way through life. Mm. Um, I've had a lovely, lovely life. Um, it's been adventurous and, and fun, not without these ADHD traits that have tripped me up often, but regardless, I've barraged my way through. And, um, and I thought, 
if I've made it this far, I would really like to see if I could navigate my way after diagnosis also without medication. And somehow I've made it this far. Um, and I'd like to discover my own strategies to move forward and have a better life without reliance on medication. The other thing too, I'm really useless at taking medication. I'll, I'll literally have something in my hand and don't know if if I've taken it or if this, I've taken an extra one out of the That's a trait. Of the <laughs> Is it not? For, yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, I, I'm really interested in getting into those strategies uh, and, and how things have gone since diagnosis. But let's go back to the beginning and... Because because adult diagnosis is becoming more and more common, and of course you alluded to it earlier. There's often this uh, been this assumption that this is about younger males, right? So let's can we share some of your story from from earlier in life and and, and work through the story as you do in the book as to what it was that you were experiencing that you now recognise and have knowledge of. Um, it sounded like a wonderful, as I said, very free range early childhood. Yes, yes, it was. So um, a lot of my youth was spent in rural communities, and part of that was spending some time on Kawa Island. Um, at the time, there was, uh, for us and our family, there was no electricity and uh, no school. So it was correspondence school by dawn when the sun came up. We were busy doing that. And by lunchtime, school was over, and we were jumping off the wharf and going for adventures. And so whether I was um, hyperactive, of um, inattentive or impulsive at that time, I don't really know, but I had a very happy childhood. So I think um, that environment really suited me well. There was always something to do. Um, while there wasn't electricity and therefore no television, for example, um, I just let my mind go wild. And so I, there was never a dull moment. Um, yeah. So, so can, at, at, mm, go ahead. Sorry. At, at that yeah, cool. Um, at that point, um, it didn't affect me. Um, I didn't. I was just happy. I only knew what I knew. However, um, when going back to the mainland and going to a real school, I was just observing how different I was from everybody, um, and it it got to me. It, there were there were patterns of uh, friend groups that I didn't really belong in. Um, so I sort of, I'm, I'm a friend, friendly, upbeat kind of individual. But, you know, I never really felt that I was in sync with these so-called friend groups around me. And so I've been quite independent, um, which was my coping mechanism, I guess, for finding a way to make sense of not fitting in. Can you tell us a little more of what a child with ADHD might um, experience or, or, or might do? And I should say a lot, a lot of these can be common, but perhaps is it, is it the combination in uh, the number of traits that um, that might make one wonder? But could you just give us an idea of some of the behaviours that might be typical? Okay, so so there are three presentation types of ADHD. There's predominantly um, inattentive, predominantly hyperactive and impulsive, and a, and a combined type. So um, the number of criteria according to a diagnostic list um, is slightly different when um, you're being diagnosed or assessed as adults um, so it's slightly different for children but any which way so so hyperactivity isn't necessarily your stereotypical boys running around hyperactivity well that's still the case and while girls may in fact have those traits as well hyperactivity can present in different ways and it could be things like over talking over sharing interrupting fidgeting being restless um, 
you know, it, it can present or a busy mind. You know, just your head racing around with ideas. So I think what's what we're learning now is that your traditional hyperactivity isn't necessarily how it presents today. But there's also the inattentive type. And so a lot of girls have sort of flown under the radar. Um, maybe they're daydreamy. Um, they're, they like to doodle. They don't really seem as if they're listening. Uh, they've learnt to mask very well, um, whether it's intentional or not, uh, to to uh, not be singled out. So they'll mimic their peers. Um, They might be extremely quiet, uh, which is very out of character for them. Um, But they'll do that just to fit in, just so they, you know, they don't get pulled up in class for being different. And all all the women in the book, and and I've, I've managed to speak to around 30 other Kiwi women diagnosed as adults, and they share a very similar story. So this book isn't just about me and my journey. I've just been so honoured to share the stories of other women too. And um, different life journeys, but very similar traits were experienced. Lots of breakouts in the books from the women who have kindly kindly shared. You mentioned school then as coming back to the mainland in school as the time when you began to feel different. And I, I love this idea of thinking of difference rather than disorder. We're learning so much more about the complexity of our brains and the difference of our brains and, and the brilliance of um, of people often um, that society doesn't make room for, but mm. still technically a disorder, of course, um, to get the diagnosis. But tell me how that difference played out during you know your your adolescence and and, and into adulthood in a way that you now look back and say, aha, and in a way in which having the knowledge is helpful, Julie. And thank you, because that's really the key for me, understanding the disorder um, retrospectively to go back through my life. There's so many aha moments going, that's why, that's why I did this, that's why I did that. So um, as I said, I became quite independent. Um, I was not afraid of being alone. Um, I got used to being alone. Um, yet able to socialise at the same time. So I became my own walking contradiction in a way. I could be very social and then at times be very withdrawn and quiet because I was unsure um, if I was going to blurt out or say something inappropriate. And and just to reinforce that, you know, it's been said there's a um, psychiatrist in the States who deals with adult ADHD and he has suggested that people with ADHD by the age of 10 would have had up to or approximately 20,000 negative or corrective messages. And so you learn at a very young age that not only do you feel or think differently, it's actually being reinforced by society. So as you grow, uh, or I'm speaking for myself personally here, but also reflected in the stories from the other women, um, you kind of grow up a little bit gingerly, knowing, testing the waters to see if this is um, socially acceptable or or peer groups are going to pull you up on that. And um, the art of masking uh, gets us through a whole bunch of things, but also it um, dilutes our positive traits as well. And suddenly you wake up going, crikey, um, I'm a shell of my former self, what happened? Um, and it's it's a bit of a wake-up call to 
understand yourself and then try and be yourself um, without giving yourself a hard time. You're suppressing me, yourself all the time. You're second-guessing yourself all the time. And, 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 and you're not getting the validation that we all want from absolutely, our relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Another um, key point for me is that um, I left school at 16. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I jumped into the workforce and have been working ever since. But I went through um, a number of jobs in a very short space of time when I resigned um, I decided it was far too boring <laughs> and I wasn't being valued and I wanted to do something else and so really by late teens I decided that I should go contracting because that would look far better on my CV and it wouldn't have all these you know rapid changes um, of employment but I, I loved that so so by a gut instinct I love this rapid change for me you, you, you know the dopamine hits of starting a new job hitting the ground running, um, moving mountains, doing fabulous things, and then leaving with a pat on the back before I, the monotony sets in. So that's been my life, and gosh, that's, that's yeah. That's so you've actually shaped your life to living with a difference. For others, I know, though, that that issue can be very challenging in the particular jobs they're in or the businesses they run because that issue of, um, I mean, you touched on forgetfulness sometimes or not remembering whether you've done the thing that you that you were standing there thinking about or yes. just the routines and discipline sometimes required, say, of running a business or a job. Uh, that can be a real challenge for people. And, and again, awareness at least helps you understand. And as you say, that negative feedback that comes all the time, why haven't you done this? Why didn't you do that? Why aren't these papers filed? That's kind of soul-destroying, isn't it? It, it is, and um, I'm delighted in, in the book to sort of talk about some practical tips. Go ahead, about, please, with those. Yeah, so so actually the diagnosis isn't the end. It really is the beginning of, now what do I do? Gosh, do, who do I tell? Do I tell my workmates? Do I tell my bosses? Do I tell my friends and family? Um, and, and so there's a lot to consider, and there's pros and cons against it all. Um do I change my job? Do I, you know, um, do I have a look to see what might suit my positive traits and harness those instead of hindering or hiding them? And, you know, the best thing that we can do is just shine and do what we do really well because we do, you know. And I think ADHD has, has had a bit of a bad rap, but it's it shouldn't. There's some amazing qualities um, the empathy and the resilience. Um, we're brilliant in, in a crisis. We'll just do it. We work really, really well to deadlines. Um, we're very, very creative individuals as well. And we just think in a non-linear fashion. And I think if we're allowed to do things our way and still um, st still achieve greatness for our workmates or in in the home, but just allowing ourselves to do things our way um, is, is really positive. So um, I, I, hopefully the book will um, sort of describe, again, not just my experiences, but those of others as well. And there's loads of little little tips and questions to get you thinking and head, heading you in the right direction. It also gives insights, again, into, into the misunderstandings. I think one woman's sharing her family thought she was looking for attention. And that's, you know, quite quite common. And again, the social, because we, we construct things in such a narrow manner, the social responses, you know, stop, you know, 
stop taking you know taking up the time or stop or stop um, uh, seeking attention again I can yes. see how that constant feedback is just so degrading um, absolutely and Catherine can I add to that sorry I'm interrupting right an no, ADHD trait I, I do that all the time in fact <laughs> I looked at a few of these and wondered but anyway carry on <laughs> um, so we were we're talking about we were talking about the woman who was saying she was looking for attention her family said she was looking yes. for attention Thank you. You know, the other ones that are really unhelpful but are quite common, like, oh, there's, um, everyone's got ADHD these days, or they're jumping on the bandwagon, or, oh, they look okay to me. I, I think they're just overthinking. Um, and I think the importance is, while you think you may have ADHD or not, a diagnosis is done by a professional who not only looks for ADHD, of course, they're looking for any other possible cause for you to, you know, to, to help understand and help you. So it's not a made-up, it's not a made-up thing. There are thousands of women um, with ADHD who are just coming to terms with it now. And and there's been a whole lot of misdiagnosis too, Catherine, in their lifetime. They may have been told that they're depressed and have been on depression medication only to find that it never worked and perhaps their doctor... Um, wasn't listening and then they hit their ADHD medication which does work and they realise that for decades potentially uh, they've been living life a whole lot harder than they could have You've also got a chapter on addiction what's the relevance what's the link for some people Um, Interestingly enough um, nicotine for example has um, a stimulant Uh, which is not dissimilar to the uh, ADHD stimulant medication. And so so whether it be uh, that, uh, alcohol is uh, a depressant, uh, but also things like marijuana, uh, which can be a multitude of different things. Um, Really, it's (coughs) self-regulating. Excuse me. Self-regulating the ADHD is, is... there's a pattern emerging that it's generally done for those who are undiagnosed um, or those who are diagnosed that are unmedicated, reaching for the things that provide them dopamine. And at the end of the day, this is this is the deficiency. We, we are deficient in dopamine. So a lot of our actions will be to supplement that or to raise it up to normal levels. To have those little so, boosts that we all enjoy so much. Correct. Yeah, so, yeah. So, and to that you can add sugar, which mm. also boosts dopamine, um, energy drinks, caffeine, chocolate. Mm. The yeah. impulsivity, one person talks about um, risk-taking um, in her um, sexual history, and this is, is very honest here, um, you know, it's not through a lack of regard for myself, but more through impulsivity, dopamine, and risk-taking. So that, you've just touched on it again, that, that seeking of um, those bursts that we all enjoy, but which, to your point, um, uh, a person with ADHD may be seeking. Um, a lot of honesty in these shared stories, isn't there? So so beautifully honest, and um, I've just been so proud um, to be able to collate these stories and share them and share them publicly. It's it's really been an eye opener for me as well. Um, but yes, with with impulsivity, which is different from spontaneity, which I've learnt. Spontaneity, you can plan, you can plan ahead to do that bungee jump and go through the health and safety talks and. You know, and then jump. But this impulsivity is immediate, without any consequence of any likely reper- repercussions. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a little frog. 
Um, so there is there is a difference, and this drive for dopamine, um, often it's this fight or flight response, and we we react rather than consider and respond. Um, and and again, once you understand ADHD and how it manifests in your own life, which is a very personal journey, then you can have a look at these triggers. You know, why do I react that way? Why do I find this environment overwhelming? Um, And you can start actually mapping your own um, strategies of how to manage your life better, along with the help of ADHD coaches or counsellors, also professional in that area. Um, Yeah. A lovely text has come in. ADHD, it's like she's telling my life story. Last year diagnosed at 61 and it's been amazing to know as all the traits, etc. can really affect your self-esteem. I have more awareness, strategies and self-compassion. I'm successful professionally and I've done and tried many things and travelled a lot, but ADHD has made life harder with tendencies to burn out, depression and anxiety. But now I also honour my superpowers. Beautiful. Mm. Two years on for you, Julie, um, two years on from the diagnosis, as we said, you've, you've developed um, strategies, you have, a, you, you have an understanding, which just listening to you is everything, right? But how yes. would you describe where, where things are at, where you're at with this knowledge now? Um, I've, you don't know what you don't know, but once you're armed with some information, and particularly me as I'm so passionate about the subject, um, I'm very happily an advocate for adult ADHD. Now, I'm not I'm not saying I'm about to be an ADHD coach. I don't have an interest in that, but I I would love to just openly talk more about it to raise awareness. Um specifically interested in the, in the workplace. I think um the workplace is mm, has got a, a a bit more work to do, you know, while they look at um health and well-being um, and they look at diversity I, th- I think ADHD also um, needs room for discussion and again how to harness the best out of um, out of employees rather than stifle them and you know when you're in a happy place you're more likely to stay so, so um, yeah it's a win-win really one question uh, I'm not sure if you address this in the box forgive me um, could Julie talk a bit about unmasking? A friend of mine was recently diagnosed with ADHD and she brings up unmasking a bit, but I don't really understand it. Do you address uh, it okay. here? Yeah. So, um, so masking is something that we do. If you imagine a mask, we, we do it to, hmm, to try and tone ourselves down, um, to try and minimise our traits that we think are shining so brightly in a, in a negative in a negative fashion. So, um, so whether it's smiling at a business meeting when you're bored, senseless, and you'd rather you know be chewing off your leg, um, but smiling and nodding, um, maybe not being so outspoken because you don't want to be seen as the one that always has alternative views and the one you know the one that's being a bit painful. And so, um, I think so. That's masking. So to unmask. It's a very vulnerable state where you can be yourself. You, you literally can be yourself. And the only time really we feel comfortable to do that is with those that we know won't judge us. And then we are the most fun, creative, entertaining bunch of folk um, you'll ever meet. It's, um, so this unmasking, it, it takes bravery on 
on the parts of ourselves and it takes some understanding from others that when we over-talk or interrupt, when we're not being rude, I'm sorry, it's just how we are. And we will learn We will learn that that might offend some people and maybe we can tailor our ways but not hide and mask all of them. Wonderful, Julie. Thank you. The Missing Piece is by Julie Legg. It's published by HarperCollins Publishers.